This podcast is a member of WGPRN. WildGamesProductions.com You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Say, or die! Welcome to the Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hawking zombies and bones and Episode 75, Save or Die. Here we are once again. As usual, is DM Mike, along with DM Sneeze. I mean, Jim. (laughs) 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 Do it, do it. (laughs) Hey, greetings, programs. (laughs) DM Glenn. If you've seen this man conduct the authorities, he's accused of eating pizza with a fork. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) And DM Liz. Hello. And we're here once again to talk vaguely, intelligently about classic Dungeons and Dragons. While and we do mean vaguely. All of mm. burping and sneezing. With a subject that has been suggested by DM Jim. Yay. Yeah, now we're listening to him. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, show, the show notes I had to rewrite three times. Yeah, so this means a lot to him. We're going to talk about the Strategic Review, the precursor to Dragon Magazine, which ran from 75 to 76, early 77. Wow. Seven whole issues. Yeah. And started at six pages and ended at 24 before going to 32 and Dragon and then eventually ballooning up to... Wow, 100? What is it in its heyday? I've never seen a physical copy. I've only had the PDFs that came on the Dragon Magazine uh, archive CD-ROM, but uh, it looks like towards the end it was morphing into a magazine anyway, with like color covers and more of a yeah. magazine layout. Yeah, I guess it started off more of a fanzine almost, really, for the uh-huh. just for TSR goodies. But anyway, before we delve into strategic review and the classic goodness that it contains. What have we been doing lately? Well, first thing we talk about what we've been doing is we have closed the iTunes contest. Thank everybody for participating. Yes, thank you very much. We appreciate all your lovely reviews. Yes. And the winner, we have decided through... That's our hostess Liz over there in the shimmering dress. (laughs) Turn those letters. (laughs) (laughs) Pull that pull that ball out of the lotto thing there. Yeah, I'm through. Sure? <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure. You got it out of your system. Okay. The winner, after long thought and decision, we have come to is Mavfire. Yay. Yay. The runner-up is Witchfinder. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So please write us with your real names and addresses so we can get those prizes off. To and remind everybody, uh, Mavfire will have first choice of the two items. 
Don Pardo, tell us what our contestants are winning today. Well, stuff. Noodles and gobs of meat and stuff. Matt Fire, you've won a your supply of turtle wax, a twelve volume site of the set of Encyclopedia Britannica and Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. And a new car. The Spiegel it's a matchbox car, but yeah. yeah. Spiegel catalog six oh six oh nine. It's a copy of Creature Crucible, Fall Tales of the Wee Folk, and Dungeon Geomorphs. Oh, which is sweet. So whichever yeah. one of those you prefer, let us know. Abfire, you get first choice of the two. The other will go to Witchfinder. Yes, and the other guy gets the good one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for everyone participating. Now, good night. Oh, sorry. Doing since the last episode, DM Jim. Oh, in gaming, uh, our uh, just last night as we record this was uh, our Dungeon Crawl Classics group, and uh, the I love that game. But last night I got to actually do the epic wizard saves the entire party's ass thing, and that was great. I just, I, somehow I've got a ring with Scorching Ray in it, and two games in a row when we really needed it, I managed to roll a 20. And that is, if you if you knew me or gamed with me, that is highly unlikely. Those are like Vegas odds. <laughs> so well, you were Gandalf. At first level, which Only rocked. more competent. <laughs> Well, he never really throws anything harder than a lightning bolt in the book, so I don't know. Yeah. But, and, uh, of course, uh, since I'm leading off, I won't uh, bogart the uh, classic D&D game, but our, our, our group group game together, uh, I had more fun than I've had in decades. And I was think, trying to think of why it was so much fun last time we played an Angry Monks campaign, and I realized suddenly that... Like last night, the Dungeon Crawl Classics game, I am literally the oldest player there, although there are other old grognards there. And then it goes all the way down to nine years old. So I feel a certain responsibility to be more of an adult, mature player. No, you're not having fun. No, I'm having great fun. (laughs) But but what I caught happening in our last game together as a group is I see you guys as peer level, you know, I guess – we were all roughly the same age within a decade, and I just cut off the chain in that game poor, and put poor Shannon through the, the mill when I was deciding. <laughs> we're going, when you're you not and I are going to be burning the door? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going through that door, says the DM. Oh, yes, we are, says the player. <laughs> and I have no, no one else is going through it either because <laughs> we're going to burn it. I haven't intentionally tortured a DM like that in many, many, many years. <laughs> And I loved it when he said, do you, did you give that same level of respect to Tim Cask at his table? And I couldn't say it out loud, but what I was thinking in my head was, yes, I, yes, I do give Tim that same level of respect. But in Tim's campaign, I'd be on my third character now. <laughs> <laughs> Tim makes you pay. All right. Well, I'm Glenn. Well, <clears throat> I came off a rather grueling road trip to Corpus Christi with uh, the grandkids, all four of them. Why? Uh, because that's going to suffice for a vacation this year. Uh, dropped the two granddaughters off to their mother in Corpus, spent a couple of days at the beach and stuff like that, came back, went through Natural Bridges Cavern, which I'm still wondering why. I <laughs> I'm still wondering why you went Did- to Corpus Christi in July. <laughs> Well, you had you had a There's wilderness. Water. It's Christie, period. You had a, you oh, had a oh, did a you go to the snake farm? No. Oh, you should have gone to the snake farm. Oh man. 
You, you, know, you, know, you know, I went down the, the, the cave, into the caves, and you know how it gets pretty tight sometimes when you're walking, and I was doing a lot of back, bending and leaning and out of the way. Pretend you're doing a dungeon crawl. <clears throat> I was, yeah. That's what I was going to say. On the way out the door, on the way in the little area where you're going past, back to the place, I bumped my head. Oh, <laughs> just all the caves, but I bumped my head on the way out. That's why you wear a helmet. <clears throat> That's true. I also I've been working on some artwork for uh, Matt, my DM Matt, also known as Odinist on OSR Gaming and Dragon's Foot, who is wants to little plug for him. He's putting together his the Valadium Mine Val, I'm sorry, the Valdhum Mines adventure. That we ran through, and he wants to publish it. I believe on like you know he's right through RPG and stuff like that. And I and yours truly is doing the artwork, uh, <clears throat> and I'm getting paid for it too. By the way, um, even nicer, even nicer. Tens of dollars and the lucrative yes. field of game design. Oh boy, like art. Yeah, and uh, working on a t- uh, my first Tunnels and Trolls adventure. That should be fun. And we had our basic D and D game Saturday. It's getting a lot tougher. That uh, oh man, nobody died, but yeah, you're like what twelfth level now? <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, he was he's throwing stuff at us like um, Bargdas. Ah, and, uh, you know, we took on six Bargdas, and I went down to like over half my hit points, and I'm going, whoa, whoa wait a minute, wait a minute, over half. But what's that? Down to fifty or? No, no, no. I start with fifty one. Oh, okay. And, and um, we had, well, I'm sorry, one character died. We had to res him. Uh, yeah, we're that powerful. You're 12th you're level and you only have 50 hit points? Are you a wizard? I'm 10th, and I'm a, and I'm a, an elf. And I, oh, okay. I'm maxed out, pretty much. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and it's gotten a lot tougher. So now everybody's being like, oh, shoot. I mean, one one door was trapped, and our thief failed to disarm the trap. And while he was di- she was disarming the trap, it went off, which was basically vials of acid dumped on us. Always fun. Yeah, and everybody's going through their stuff. And guess who's the only one who had all magical items? Me. Ooh. Actually, <laughs> I think that's, that, that, that's a pro, that's a pretty <clears throat> move there when you've got with the. Party members too loaded up with magic items. Suddenly, it's an acid pit, and everything starts making missing it safe. Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, I had two non-magical items. I lost. I love that uh, one. I love that dagger. Um, but what everything was non-magical was in my bag of holding. So they <laughs> <laughs> say, "Okay, he can go." Okay, who has non-magical armor? People are raising their hands. Okay, who has a backpack? People are raising their hands. All right, you lost all that stuff. It goes all over the place. Who has? You are now AC9, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, Glenn, what's up? He says, no, I got plus one armor, plus one bunch of plus one weapons, a plus three weapon. I don't know. What do you, I keep my stuff in my bag of holding. What's the problem? Yeah. A bag of holding saved. <laughs> holding did save. Anything magical saved. Oh, anything magical did save. Okay. Yes. Uh, oh, automatically? Automatic, yeah. I believe he he was doing some furious rolling in the back. Okay, so <clears throat> I mean, if he if they did, yeah, then I never know. I never know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and that's the point. I go, okay, it's gonna be that kind of game from now on. All right. Well, you're high level, so I guess real careful. <laughs> yeah, you're high level now, so he's giving you both barrels. 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and you know, we're not using like barrel maze or anything like this. This is pure mat. So, you know, he comes up with these. I read, you know, I went through one of the, we avoided one of the traps, but I read the, read the trap in Valhum, the one we went before this. And it's like, I cannot even begin to be this devious and intricate on a trap. You know, it always, you're, you're playing an elf with spells, right? It always pays to have a couple of backup emergency spells tattooed on your forearms. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, really. Just in, just in case your spellbook ever bites it or you end up in prison. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, anyway, that's that's me. Okay. What about you, Liz? <clears throat> well, I was in Angry Monk's game along with Mike and Jim. So um, as they were mentioning, we had a bit of an interesting altercation with a locked door. <laughs> My elf was not trying to be mean to the DM, and so she went down the conveniently located well that was obviously put there for us to escape out of with a hidden exit. Um, we went down there eventually. Eventually. I know, I know we were wearing you out too, Liz. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, my elf goes down there. I find the little hidden entrance in the side of the well, and I'm crawling in. I'm by myself in this passageway inside the well while everybody else is trying to oil up the door and start a fire. (laughs) Eventually, it got to the point where my elf goes back to the entrance to the well and calls up, and Elf could die of old age down here. <laughs> and Shannon's like, so what are you doing now? It's like, oh, I'm building a birdhouse. You know? I'm making a casserole. You know, <laughs> Doing some macrame. We joined you eventually. Eventually. But yes, that door had to die. Waiting, you know? <laughs> that door had to die. <laughs> it had to. And I'm sure it did. Glenn, you weren't there, but we did. We ran your character into the door. We did everything but pick oh, wow. him up and use him as a battering ram. We had your guy, your your guy, go up with his rune sword and smack the oh, door, and it's like, oh. nope, nothing. Oh wow, it's three Stooges move. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, whoever it was, closed the door, did deadbolts, slid a <laughs> bolt uh, or a bar across it. We heard him moving furniture and crap. You know, <laughs> oh come on, this is this has got to die. Whoever this is must die. I bet it's the old cat lady. Don Henley must have. Yeah, right. Okay. Obviously, the evil cat lady is responsible for all of our woes. (laughs) Of course. I'm going to blame her for it anyway. All right. Well, do we have any emails, Liz? What about you? What have you been doing? (laughs) I thought I just talked about that. All right. Forget it. What's emails? (laughs) Mike's been doing the same thing I've been doing in gaming. (laughs) He tried and probably succeeded in burning down a door. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't hear anything about your 2E game and the uh, tricky paladin that likes to dump gnomes down wells. <laughs> Speaking of wells. Well, we, today we actually just got back from that game, so we're still kind of scarred. We haven't had a chance to. Oh, yeah. and Oh, uh, is it too soon? I'm sorry. Too soon. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Although the female dwarf made a interesting remark about how humans weren't real people anyway, so it's okay to kill them. My human cleric just kind of stared at her for a while. 
It's like, okay, note to self, do not heal the female dwarf. <laughs> Especially if she threatens, she does that dance of the seven veils. It's like, God. Pissing off the party cleric is like messing with the waitress before you get your food. I know. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. That Cure Light Wound spell only did one hit point of healing again. What are the odds? And I I spit in your food. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did I accidentally cause Light Wounds? Sorry. I get those mixed up. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. But anyway... Emails, yes. <laughs> we have emails. Our first email is from our very own Angry Monk. <laughs> Speak he's of the listening devil. To us. He is. He's gonna give he's gonna give you guys another door next time and it's gonna be fireproof, I guarantee it. Here, save or die, you all die. <laughs> so Shannon writes Hello, Save or Die crew. I enjoyed your interview with John Peterson and I just wanted to add my voice to the throng. If your listeners have not read this book, they should do themselves a favor and pick it up. I not only found his revelations astounding about the diverse and intricate world of pre-D&D gaming, of which I was completely ignorant, but this book made me step back from my own games and participation in the hobby and do a self-evaluation. To see the passion and persistence that other people had for their game has made me hold my own head a little higher, and I would like to contribute more. Peterson shows us how the stars align to produce this wonderful game in whatever iteration we love that we play. Do not be afraid. This book is not a tough slog at all. Well done, folks. Shannon, the Angry Monk. All right. Oh, thanks, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. Yeah, that was. I don't know what the download numbers are, but I've heard on several forums that this seems to be our. This is the most favorite episode for a while now. Yeah. And go get and go get the book. <laughs> yeah, get well, the book. Yeah, I mean, not only was it a lot of fun for us to record that episode, but it was just really interesting having John on with us and, you know, hearing from him. You know some of the bits and pieces of what went on before. Right. <laughs> He's done a lot of research, and I imagine there's quite a bit that he just did not have room to put into the book. It and would be very interesting if there was ever a, a sequel. Plus, I know we've probably all had the experience where there's somebody who's writing we really liked, and then we met them in person and talked to them, and you know they were not the easiest to talk to person and john was just like great i'm like i'll game with that dude <laughs> oh yeah and so. he's shown interest on returning to the show if our schedules work out and uh maybe uh, join us for the eldritch wizardry episode coming uh, up in shows that that's possible john but i haven't seen the check yet <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe if maybe if the new guy doesn't work no out, that's for thaco's hammer glenn <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe a potential co-host if the new guy doesn't work out yeah. <laughs> so you're out, Mike. No, sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm out of here. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Anyway, well, thanks for the email, Monk. And our next email is from Rust. Hi, Rust. Never sleeps. <laughs> and Rust writes, greetings, Saver Diecast. It is I, Rust, once again writing. Congratulations on the recent con, and let's all hope Glenn heals swiftly. 
How is your arm, by the way? Are you well, out of the sling and everything? Oh, or? I've been out of the sling for a few weeks. Um, going back to the doctor Tuesday, and they're going to see if they need to set me up with any physical therapy or anything. Well, but cool, uh, cool. it's getting better every day. Yay. Thanks. Um, continuing on, he says, recent events caused an unintended move from the edge of the world to the top of it, one might say which made me consider the Wilderness and Survival Guide for First Edition as the main source of an adventure. With carts, wagons, mounts, and beasts of burden. Being fresh from the farm, the players take the role of guardians for a convoy being hired by local means and necessity. The journey will take them far from their native lands, where the convenient plot point of a flash flood will separate them from the relative safety of the convoy resulting in them being lost and depending on their skills as well as their wisdom. Uh-huh. I would bring up the old argument that someone likes to chime in with, but we all know fire building is a general term. Just because in the game you learned how to build a fire from a left-handed club-footed Eskimo with a lisp during a north-by-northeast wind does not mean you can't build a fire because the wind is from the south. Also, the argument of time for character prep is just pointless. You spend five hours to three days straight playing D&D. I think the two minutes to copy a bit of info for a non-weapon proficiency can be found. Ow! Three <laughs> days straight? Well, maybe maybe those, those young... Whip- anymore. Maybe those young whippersnappers can still do that, but... God, we older, we older people. twenties. <laughs> we, we older, we older people. We, we we throw our back out if we try that nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rust continues. The re-release of the Dungeons and Dragons games, Chronicles of Mistara and Tower of Doom, along with a recent DLC for Borderlands Two, make me think that pen and paper RPGs are only going to increase. You couldn't ask for better mainstream media advertising and general recruiting. It is a direct injection of D&D goodness straight into the arms of the children. Now, hold on a second. Uh, do y'all know what he's mentioning there? Yep, I do. I have not heard of any re- what? It is, uh, they released the, uh, I can't remember who did streaming, but they're releasing on uh, like PlayStation and Wii and things like that. And on the PC, the re-release of the two Coleco D&D stand-up video games. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Um, and nice. re- remember remember um, North Texas 2011 where they had that stand-up machine with the two games on it that people could play for free? I never saw that, actually. Yeah, they had it there. I totally missed that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they've re-released those, and I hear they are a hoot to play. It's a nice kick in in the nostalgic cojones. Thank you. That's cool. (laughs) Okay, well, I was wondering what he meant by that, but now we know. I think the old school renaissance is actually having an impact in bringing the hobby back out. Yeah. I mean, because I, I, so, I was thinking about this the other day. What's happened is we've all, all of us who started when we were young are now in our 40s, in some cases older, and and that happened, that coincided with the technology and the access becoming yep. just completely transparent where we can all write games and self-publish them. Yep. Well, even beyond that, we've also got relatively high disposable income, at least compared to when we were teenagers. So <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah true, true. <laughs> Although we are a little more discerning, I think. Oh, yeah. But um, is there any more to that email? Sorry. 
Uh, no, that was that was it. Okay. okay well, thanks, Russ. Thanks, Russ. Although you mentioned wilderness and dungeoneer survival guides when. For Classic, you'd do just as well using Outdoor Survival, which you can download at a lot of places for free, or the Blue Expert Book, which also works good for wilderness adventures. Right. You can get get the Outdoor Survival? I've never even seen it. Really? I'll send you a link. Okay. I I think it's on Board Game Geek, but yeah, there's several places where you can download the scans of it all. Wow. And. Don't mind that. That was just a chink in my old school armor that showed for a second. <laughs> I copy used copies of it from Noble Knight for like ten, fifteen bucks. Oh yeah, I see it on eBay all the time. Oh, all right, I'm on that. Yeah, it got cool. play, it got played at last North Texas. Oh, just keep rubbing salt in. <laughs> <laughs> you too you can wander out in the woods and die of exposure. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Is you stupid? Is you ignorant? On me. You have a fellow American who's down in his luck. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to forgive him, Jim. He's from Oklahoma. <laughs> You're just going to keep riding that horse. I'm Texan. I have to. <laughs> no, you don't, especially since I'm from L.A. <laughs> well, I'm from Mississippi, so I still got to. So there. <laughs> so there. Mm. Liz, you can do it. You're from Texas. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> you can do okay, it. Well, Not only am I from Texas. I'm from San Antonio, Texas, which is the best part of Texas to be from, just so you know. I can argue with that. (laughs) You were from Corpus Christi, too. I was born in San Antonio, so I am from there. Personally, I'd rather live in Austin, but but I'm that kind of geek, so. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. I'd like to... Email us. You can email us at... No, er, I'm sorry. Uh, SaverDiePodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> you give them the number. Or you can send us a voicemail at 940-536-3763 or 3SOD. That sounded like it hurt. About it. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> and, and you can record an MP3 or wave and send it to us too, right? That's yep. right. That'll work, too. That'll work. Because we are still doing basic impressions. Yeah. We just just need to get them from you guys. And one of our next shows, we're going to have one from DM Kojo. Not from T-Man this time. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's not the T-Man show. Unless T-Man sends us more. Yes. (laughs) DM Kojo gets around, man. He does. He does. (laughs) He he writes in and, and comments on all the shows. That's right. All right, well, let's take a break here for important announcements and pimping of other podcasts, and then we'll come back into Game On. So you guys are in the Misty Mug. What are you doing? I am buying a Bloody Mermaid of wine, as always. Sunshine comes out from the back. She actually needs some help with the problem. What problem? There's rats in the cellar. Oh, God. Giant rats, I presume? I don't know. Do you want to go check it out? So you guys make your way down into the cellar. Sure enough, amongst the crates and barrels, there are nine giant rats. Remember the last time we fought giant rats? They nearly killed us. In the nest of the giant rats is 2,000 copper pieces. Huh. 20 gold. One's copper. It's 2,000. <laughs> we came here to help Sunshine with their problem. We had to fight the giant rats. Initiative. Yeah. Check out the Delvers podcast at burnedfx.com. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Ronald Korn, uh, 
principal at Haddon Heights High School and amateur gamer, uh, I should say amateur game designer. Um, recently, I kind of hit the waters with a, a request or a plea for old school gaming um, and so some supplies to Haddon Heights High School, um, trying to get a gaming group off the ground. And, uh, you know, certainly budgets are hard in high school, so we're looking for anyone out there who could possibly uh, donate some supplies. Uh, we're looking for anything that you have, anything that, uh, you know, for ranging from minis to dice to uh, old school books, um, any condition, uh, any edition, any game. Uh, really, we're looking, you know, I'm trying to raise a new generation of gamers and uh, looking at any means and uh, any available way to do so. Especially looking at playing some of the classics. Uh, so if you have any um, AD&D materials or basic Dungeons & Dragons, uh, any uh, first edition, second edition, old player's handbook, um, old DM's guide, old adventures, it doesn't matter, whatever condition, uh, we will certainly uh, you know take what you have. Uh, again, Ronald Korn, Principal Haddon Heights, uh, looking for donations to help support our gaming club. Um, appreciate anything you can do. Thanks. Hi, uh, yeah, Ronald Korn again. And if you have any, um, if you would like to contact me, I can be reached uh, by email at ronaldcorn at gmail dot com. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I am on Facebook as well as uh, at Ronald Korn, and uh, I appear on some of the blogs as Demi Korn, D E M I C O R N. Uh, you can find me at the Kobold uh, Press blog site. I tend to work there a little bit, and every once in a while on the um, you know the other gaming forums. Talking about the Strategic Review, TSR. Not a coincidence. Go. <laughs> Jim, when you put this episode together, what were you thinking? Uh, I, when I put this episode first together, I, I've, I've rewritten the show notes three times. When I put it together the first time, uh, Michael Tresca had just written a, an online article talking about the Internet Archive had all the back issues of Dragon Magazine and the Strategic Review up for free viewing in PDF format. And I'm like, well, there's a show right there because uh, unless you have uh, unless you were, you know, gaming and collecting TSR stuff in 1975, you've never seen the Strategic Review or you had the Dragon uh, Magazine Archive CD-ROM that came out in 99. So it seemed like a great show, but then, of course, immediately after I wrote the show notes, uh, one presumes some lawyers contacted the Internet Archive and suddenly all that stuff went away. And then I later found another place where you could go see all the strategic reviews and download them, and we, I rewrote the show notes again, and now the second place has gone away. However, I mean, if you've got a couple hundred bucks, you can get on uh, – eBay and get yourself the Dragon um, Magazine Archive. Lots and of you, lawyers take your C&D and go to hell. Thank you. Well, and this, there were only seven issues of the Strategic Review, and some of them can be picked up, used for not too bad a price, around 10 bucks or so. Really? Yeah, some of them. Some of them are a lot more, depending on what the article is. But, uh-huh. 
Well, if we talk about something in the show that intrigues a listener and they want to go find the strategic reviews we're talking about, I found three issues that are online today. We can put the notes up for that. It's uh, one, three, and four of the seven issues that are, are up today. And a, uh, a savvy internet uh, dungeon delver can get online and find the rest of them with a little persistence. Yes. Yeah. Or a friend that has the CD-ROM archive. Yes. Okay, so let's break it down here. Strategic Review was TSR's first uh, magazine-type pub- publication or newsletter. Yeah. Actually, it looks more like a newsletter than... Yeah, it did start off as kind of a TSR newsletter. As, ma- as a matter of fact, when I was looking over it, I was looking at these things and going, God, I'm having a deja vu flashback to Judges Guild. This is how the, mm-hmm. this is how the Judges Guild journal started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, even, even down to the point of talking about TSR business and about what they're going to be selling out of the dungeon hobby shop. Right. Well, whereas Dragon Magazine was pointedly not a house org and the strategic review purposely was. Right. Yeah. What got me, what got me, I think it was the third issue or whatever. Um, I saw a little disclaimer article about uh, correction from the Dundracon one program. I immediately felt old. <laughs> because Dundracon was my go-to dungeon in Cal. Uh, I'm sorry, go-to con in California. Did you go to Dundracon one? No, I didn't. But it's like I didn't know it was that old. Well, I hadn't realized until we had uh, John Peterson on that. Dun- yeah, and once he mentioned it in the book, it was obvious. But Dundracon was Dungeons and Dragon Con. Dundracon. Right. I, I had never I, that had never clicked with me for some reason. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I, it had never yeah. quite snapped until he said that, and it's like, well, okay, yeah. It was like mid '80s. My first two cons were GrimCon and Dundracon, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Dundracon was on its like eighth incarnation or something like that. And it's yeah. like, wow, this this industry just never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Well, you asked me what my idea was, and then all I did was whine and bitch about how hard it is to find them online suddenly. Yeah, the idea. Sorry. Yeah, the, <laughs> I, the idea was if you are uh, running a – I mean, the, these strategic reviews are full of great stuff that predates AD&D and in some cases predates Holmes Basic D&D. So if you uh, are running a Holmes campaign or especially an OD&D campaign and one of your players pops up and says, I want to run an illusionist, the illusionist class debuted in the issue of the strategic review. And that, that exact thing actually happened in Tim Cask's campaign. Uh, somebody wanted to play a gnome illusionist, and Tim's like, in his briefcase, hang on, i got it here somewhere, and out came a strategic review with Some all the spells and rules. All the, all the time I've been trying to, you know, hack up a gnome for basic, and I didn't even think of looking in there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's for an illusionist, not for a gnome. But. Yeah, but I wanted the gnome to be an illusion, basically an illusionist. Yeah. If you don't push him down wells, I guess. Yeah, that was going to be his niche in, in basic for me. So, anyway, go ahead. So, so a lot of technically error-correct OD&D classes, magic items, and uh, even... Uh, articles on how to randomly generate dungeons and things. I, know. That, uh, I saw that and I'm going, wow, I should print this out. Like, Wait a minute. Flip, flip, flip. Oh, it's Appendix A in the AD&D first edition book. Okay. Oh, that's another point I wanted to make. A lot of the best strategic review articles are in Best of the Dragon 1. That's true. 
even though it says Best of the Dragon, actually a lot of the better articles from Strategic... So if you can't have trouble getting a hold of Strategic Review, check out Best of Dragon number one. And that's got some good stuff in it, including Sturmgeschultz and sorcery and other good things. So Liz, if you wanted for some reason to convert your home's uh, D&D game to the nine-point alignment system, there's an article about that in the Strategic Review. Well, I was looking at that, and, you know... He seems to primarily, he talks about the five alignments at the beginning of that article. Lawful good, chaotic good, lawful evil, chaotic evil, and neutral. Which ended up in Holmes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, I thought that was a fantastic article. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've used the Bard out of here before. Have you? In a, camp, in a, in a basic expert campaign I've run. I let a player run some bar, the bard out of here, which I think is, well, it's certainly a lot easier to de- to wrap your brain around than subsequent bards. Well, that's um, an excellent example because if our normal advice in a case like that would be just go to first edition AD and D and retrofit it because the two systems mesh so well. But the, this bard is better than the. AD&D I would disagree. Bard. Yeah, I would actually think, say this bard is probably better for a classic person to go to than the AD and D one. So he's disbarred. What? Oh. <laughs> Lawyer Jim. I have I have not used the illusionist or ranger before, though I have given the option to let people use them. Um, now, ranger wouldn't be a bad ad for basic. But, uh, well, you're, you're the rules encyclopedia guy. There's nothing in the rules encyclopedia past druids, right? Yeah, you can do a druid, you can do a mystic, you can do a paladin. And and the druid RC slash mincer druid is different because yeah. it's kind of a dare I say prestige class. Yeah, pretty much. To me the mystic is a monk in anything everything but names, you know. So mm-hmm. interesting. May work a little different, but you know, base, same basic idea. But yeah, I mean it's got some some good stuff in it. Some of the stuff that eventually ended up in AD&D is here in a basic ver- or a classic version. Yeah. It can be imported pretty much as is into any classic version, I think. This is true. This is true. And you just got to love the way some of the stuff was written, too, because it, they were so cavalier and just it was all pure fun. It was before everything got super professional and hyper word processed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all before we want to make money at this. Uh, and a lot of the art in these old strategic reviews are very similar to the art that you would find in the brown books, what we mm. lovingly call booger art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm almost certain that they had the exact same artist doing that for mm. the strategic reviews as they had with the with the original brown books because it looks very similar in style. It's like, oh, I know that. <laughs> somebody, somebody, somebody recently said the artwork in the brown books looks like a uh, artwork from a peachy done by an H- 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 ADD kid. <laughs> My goodness. I loved the cover to Eldritch Wizardry. Let me just put in. Oh, I'm sure you did. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just thought I'd throw that in there, as long as we're talking art. But, but yeah, it's got lots of goodies, and some of the articles in there are interesting in that, you know, it's it's the ubiquitous 
advice articles, but yeah. you know, because it was so new at the time. I don't know. It's just the way uh, some of it's toned is different to me. And maybe really, it's that. Go ahead. Well, the tone does shift, and I I, I would really like to ask uh, Tim someday whether they had planned to change over from a house organ newsletter to a magazine prior to hiring him or if his actual presence helped bring that about because he shows up beginning in, uh, what, issue four, mm-hmm. three, four, mm-hmm. when he was first hired as TSR employee number one. And the uh, whole content immediately begins to shift towards something we would recognize later as Dragon Magazine style writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah, on a side note, uh, again, back to Peterson, I noticed, I think it was Volume 2, Number 1, Issue 6 of the Strategic Review, where I first see them actually refer to D&D as a role-playing game. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I hit that, and it's like that stuck out to me after reading Playing at the World, because, you know, beforehand it was the war game, you know, talking about the war game, you had Barsoom, the Warriors of Mars, was a, you know, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. I just like the whole feeling of, like, a bunch of guys in a mail room with typewriters and a ditto machine type feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, paste it up and get it out there, let's go. I think the first, uh, was it like the first issue had maybe two or three hundred issues? Really? As far, as far as printing? I mean, it wasn't that much. Mm-hmm. Well, this will come up when we get to the end of the program and do our Dragon reviews. We always talk about the design and the layout and things like that. But uh, I don't go quite back to 75, but I still remember the world of waxing things up in physical boards and sending them to the printers. It was a different planet back then. It was. It was. Almost like a Gutenberg press. (laughs) Well, maybe not that bad. Well, they're just skills I know Tim and I both have where, you know, you're positioning copy, and after a very short time working that way, you can eyeball everything. You don't need a T-square or a right angle anymore. You you glance at it, you know when it's crooked, which never occurs now because – Which, which I, I guess none of them worked at Judges Guild then. <laughs> well, to be fair, even if it's not crooked on your layout sheet, if it gets fed into its printer wrong, you know, it may come out crooked in the print. Okay. So, (laughs) doesn't necessarily mean they did a bad job laying it out on the original board. (laughs) True. They just didn't, you know. It's like we don't have we don't have any money to recopy this to make it look right. So it's going out as is. Right. (laughs) It used to irritate me in college when we wax a fix onto some copy, and then somewhere between the boards and the printers, it would fall off. Oh. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah so. On a par with a lot of fanzines, you know, I think strategic reviews started off on a par with a lot of the fanzines of the era. Um, in fact, oh, they yeah. even review several of them, whether it's the Great Plains uh, Gaming Society or Alarums and Excursions, which right. just started. Just legal, and just started it, yeah. It's also very interesting to read their opinions. I mean, Gygax and others are rather restrained, but they are sure to put the tone in their voice if somebody in a magazine has said something that they about them they don't like. Or, yeah. um, I think it was Volume 2, Number 1, where they were first starting the argument about um, Origins versus Gen Con, which was the bigger convention. Yeah. And Gary was very sensitive about that, apparently. And apparently they have some new, a lot of new magic items, 
too. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, some, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, some things that show up later in AD&D and some things that don't. Really? That are just in the strategic review. See, I don't have a comprehensive working of D&D magic items, so all of that would probably be new to me unless I pull up, say, a 1E book. And, oh, yeah, there it is. Type well, of I mean, the, like, barding, the barding harps, for example, I don't think hardly any of those made it uh-huh. any further. Unless you get the, you know, find all that from the Encyclopedia Magica, but yeah. Well, yeah, well, the Encyclopedia Magica published everything ever. If it was a magic item, they put it in there. Yeah, yeah, or at least it was supposed to be a compilation. I've never gone through there to see if they actually missed any or not, but I know that was their intent. Yeah. But even, yeah. The, even the things that show up later in AD&D, in the early strategic review version, they're much more the old-school style of play where it's just a regular magic item, and it almost has the powers of an artifact. I mean, it's it's almost a game-changing thing you're dropping into the player's hands because they used to do that. And just the, mm-hmm. mere, the, the, just the sheer amount of that kind of, you know, they don't even think about twice about, oh, let's drop a major artifact here, and they'll have fun with this, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I just love that old school DMing where here, you know, the Jim Ward approach. Here, have all the artifacts you want because I can still kill you easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When everything, you know, when you have stuff like save or die and stuff, you know, it's, well, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll, kill, I'll find some way to kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, do we want to talk any more on a player aspect of things? I got all I just enthusiastic and hopped all around. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm shaking. I'm, I'm nodding. I'm shaking my head, but you can't hear my brain rattle from there. So I do like the idea of the extended glasses because Ranger, especially Ranger, and to a lesser extent Bard, are kind of iconic D and D type. Uh huh. Well, th- so thank you. Have, have yeah, version think- for classic D and D. Yeah, I saw those in there and immediately thought, oh, one E. Then I looked and go, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. No, no one in here. <laughs> these are these are basic classes. Cool. Mm-hmm. I guess we should just state outside the list one time the OD and D classes that are in the strategic review are Ranger, Illusionist, and Bard. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is pretty cool. Again, I've always I've wanted as a player to try the Illusionist out of the strategic review, but I've never really had a chance, so like one day maybe I can do that. I Talk to Shannon. I, Talk yeah. to Shannon. Just get your dwarf killed, or we'll help you kill it. <laughs> I mean, we dropped fire to another door. Well, we, y'all are assuming that 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 Shannon would let me. We dropped Glenn down a well, so. Mm. Oh, I'm sure sooner or later my dwarf will get whacked, and and it won't be a problem. Oh yeah. Well, I'm still fig- figuring if anyone dies first in our game, it's probably going to be my elf. Unless she finds some elven you, chain or something. You already did. Not on my watch. <laughs> no, nobody's dying on my watch. You were the first to die. Yeah, that's true. You, I was resurrected. Or they tried. Yeah. Might not let might not let me res, get resurrected again though. Mm, maybe but, not. Yeah, I, I I have the the weeniest armor class of everybody, and so far we haven't found enough treasure to, for me to be able to afford to buy anything better. So <laughs> we just. Like I said, we just need to find some NPC elves and mug them. <laughs> They're wearing elven chain. Get, Get them! them. <laughs> no, no, none of them are the same size as you. The armor doesn't fit. I hate you. 
should have seen. I'll gain or lose weight until it's dead. Well, in Saturday's game, you should have seen the people scramble when all their stuff got eaten up by acid. Mm. I mean, we so had we, we each had two bags of holding with us, but like half of them were full. <laughs> Before I joined the group, was Shannon's brother playing the cleric? Before me? Yes. Okay, well, I'll keep it polite then. No, no, nobody's died since I've been the party cleric. Ha ha. Oh. Not on his watch, no. Uh, well, I'm sure the... I'm sure the cleric, as played by Shannon's brother, would have saved me if he could, but that was... He died, too. He died, too. Or, Well, actually, he either died or he was knocked unconscious or whatever. No, but he died. He died because you died, he died, Glenn was dying, and my dwarf was the only one left, and, and Glenn survived because I got a potion of healing to him. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, but... So. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, back to strategic review. Yes. <laughs> Let's uh, head on over then into DM fiat, so we can talk about how useful it is from a DM's point of view. Okay. Even though we've kind of already started on that. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. This is a simple game. Rule four, I don't want to catch anyone not drinking in their room after lights out. If somebody doesn't share your opinion. Rule six, there is no rule six. DM Fiat. Wahoo. Yachting of DMs. The, the, what? 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 <laughs> you, go, you go to all the trouble to have show notes that have everything sectioned off in specific sections, and then you get a bunch of artists on the show, and we just talk about it all at once. Sorry. I find anything everywhere. I'm sorry, I thought you were complaining. Um, <clears throat> anyway, DMP. Anyway, for those of you who just don't like three alignments, as Liz has pointed out. You're all weird. Well, You're the that. weird one. <laughs> but if you are weird, they've got five alignment covered for you if you don't have poems. Ha, 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 ha. Oh. Very guy X puts in an article where he talks about it. Uh, it's volume two, number one, isn't it? Yes. It says here the nine-point alignment system. Well, I mistakenly said nine because I just see what I thought I would want to see. Yeah, well, <laughs> within the article, you know, Gary says, you know, says this all indicates there are actually five rather than three alignments. And then he lists them off. So five-point alignment. Yes. Well, okay. well, speaking, well, speaking of those of us who are – are more visual than haptic. I mean, I like that that article has the big spreadsheet chart where there are where you've got your alignment axes, and then the names of the monsters by alignment are all just plunked down. Where at a glance, you don't have to go through your monster manual listing to go a freak. What is that? Yeah, and you know, you can look also, at the chart and say a freak. What is that? Yeah, but um, also <laughs> they're in their specific quadrants. They're listed to where. Okay, well, gold dragons. They're obviously, you know, very, very far on the, you know, lawful good corner. Silver dragons are starting to edge over towards the neutral axis, but they're still in the lawful quad, lawful good quadrant. So, you know, obviously silver dragons, not quite as lawful good as gold dragons. You know, but, you know, visually, yes, you can see it all at a glance how they would act vis-a-vis one another. What was the point of putting the neutral alignments in there for the nine point? Do you think? Neutral just tends to represent anything that's in nature. Okay, could, but you just could have done like say a six point alignment system and just put true neutral. 
Or five point, you mean? Well, five point. They have that is true neutral, right? Right. Okay. Lawful sorry. and chaotic good, lawful and chaotic evil, and neutral. Okay. Just bam. Right. I just wonder why they had to do neutral evil, neutral good. You know. Well, I, I mean, I personally think when you get into first edition and beyond, you know, with the nine point, it does start to. It's a little too cumbersome. I think five is a very happy medium. You know, you can. You can go very far with just the five points. You don't so. necessarily need to have all nine. Yeah. In my opinion, your mileage may vary. Well, they're so close to the same thing. I, I, I love seeing Gary Gygax's personal opinion, what we were talking about, how they're exactly positioned in the quadrants, that uh, liches aren't as lawful evil as vampires. And, you know, <laughs> and, and if a chromatic dragon, they're all the way down there in a the corner. If they give you their word, you can bank on it. Chromatic dragons, plural, too, by the way, which is interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's quite helpful, both for the visual and the textual needs, if you want to expand your alignments a little more. But, Liz, there's beholders that are right exactly on the dividing line between lawful evil and chaotic evil. So if that's not neutral evil, what is it? <laughs> it's a beholder. It's... On, it's means that you can have some beholders that are lawful legal and some that are chaotic. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, what other stuff do they have? Goodies in, in strategic review for a DM to use? For old school gaming goodness, I love, love, love those articles like uh, I, I don't speak German. I'm going to try anyway. Sturm Gehutz and Saucery D&D Scenario. That, or, that how effective is a Panzerfaust against a troll, Heinz? <laughs> that like, was fun. You know, Nazis fall through a portal right into your medieval fantasy D&D campaign, and it'll go plunk. Now Not, deal with it. Yeah, Nazis versus orcs. <laughs> that is just, that's ten kinds of awesome sauce. Machine guns, fireballs, <laughs> ghouls, trolls, and Panzerfausts which are bazookas, basically. Uh, yeah, it's great. And the Nazis lost. Barely, but they did lose. Well, I think and, it's their, their job description. Yeah, which the story is fun enough, but then even on top of that, you know, you've given basic rules in the back how uh-huh. to use the weapon systems for D&D, although it does refer to another TSR game, Tractics, a bit, um, which is very hard to find. Uh-huh. And uh, even give some, you know, suggestions on how you can have modern or slash World War II chaplains eventually move up in cleric levels when it comes to turning undead, NCOs as higher level fighting men, so on and so forth. And this is for what again? This is the article Sturmgeschultz. Oh yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry, but yeah, Uh, you could actually pronounce that. I should have let you do it. <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm just pronouncing it right, but that's how I always pronounced it. So. Well, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. That's what I liked about the strategic review because they weren't completely D and D. They hadn't got completely D and D yet, so they come up with these interesting articles like this one. Well, I think they it got- also reflects that you know, and at the time, the first few years of D and D, there was there wasn't that hard line in the sand to highlight magic or low magic or whatever. They, right. And they also, were all over the place. Yeah, and they still had their wargaming roots. I think they had an article for Don't Give Up the Ship in there, didn't they? 
Yeah, I think the only article I read by Dave Arneson in the whole thing was was a brief fight of the Battle of the Nile in the Napoleonic era. Yeah, the Napoleonic. Yeah. Yeah, and stuff like that. So occasionally you'll get something like that. Even, but, but I think a few of the, a couple of the early dragons had that too. But I think by by issue five or six of Dragon, I think that pretty much been weeded out. Yeah, and well, it's like Tim Cass said that was why this strategic review went away eventually. They split into two magazines: the Dragon, which was mostly going to be fantasy and sci-fi and Little Wars, Little Wars. which be wargaming, which and, I have some issues of Little Wars, but I don't think it went beyond issue eight or nine. I mean, it eventually got, it died off fairly quickly. They figured out where their bread was buttered, basically. Yeah, basically. People, I, I love the, the genre-bending game. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to play it every day, but once in a while, stuff like that's great, and a lot's been made of the differences between Dave and Gary's campaigns, but that's one thing they both had in common. I mean, you stumble through Castle Greyhawk down in the dungeons, and you're in Alice in Wonderland, next step. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and Dave's campaign, Blackmore, you turn a corner, and there's an android. Well, I think the, the AD&D tournament Gary ran in Origins 2 was basically Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. So, you know, I mean, they had no problem with that kind of mixing. Although, you know, we don't want to say that the the uh, strategic review just has these kind of mixing articles. It does. Oh no, no, we're just talking about the one. Sorry. Right. 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 But it gave it a unique flavor anyway. The random dungeon generator article was very interesting. It's a much simpler, more yeah. streamlined system than shows up in the dungeon master guide later. Really? Mm-hmm. I have to. I have to check that out again because it looks exactly the same. No, it's. I, I think it is simpler. It doesn't have as many tables. Okay. I wouldn't swear to it, but I think it is. Right. It takes up less room on the PDF anyway. Yeah. Um, I find that – I mean, I printed that out for Tunnels and Trolls. I find that extremely handy for, like, okay, let's drop a dungeon in here type of thing. Well, also, I like the reference of, you know, they're, they're the comment of various solo players using the random dungeon to play D&D solo and exchanging envelopes with room descriptions. Oh boy! That you could do to, you know, among solo players. So you said, "Okay, you entered this room, and you open the envelope to see what somebody else wrote up is in the room." That's almost play by post. Yeah, almost. Only you don't have to wait for the return email. True. <laughs> return mail. True. Well, Liz, I know you're not currently running a Holmes campaign, but you have run one. And if you had, if you were taking on a, a the DM screen right now, you'd run a Holmes campaign, right? Sure. So is there anything in here you'd consider dropping into your personal campaign? Well, um, definitely the um, the ranger and the bard. Not so sure about the illusionist, but if someone like Mike, say, you know, said they wanted to try out one, I would probably go ahead and let them. Um, the ranger and bard is just personal favorites of mine. One of the earliest fantasy series of novels I read before I even picked up the Holmes box set was um, Lloyd, Alice, Lloyd Alexander's Prydain series. And I loved the bard in there um, who was really, he was a good bard, sort of. But, but a bad wizard? <laughs> something like that. He had a harp that had a mind of its own. And he would try to play it, but and sometimes it would let him do it, and sometimes it wouldn't. And 
strange things would happen. And um, so, yeah, I'd have those. Definitely keep the five-point alignment system. Um, a lot of times in the strategic reviews, as I was going through them, you know, naturally there's a lot of the older predilection toward the more wargamey type of play. Um, I noticed there's a lot of um, articles about, you know, combat and, you know, unit movements, things like that, which I personally have never been, you know, that big on. So I probably would not, you know, import a lot of that stuff in there. Here are 50 more pole arms for your chainmail game. Yeah, it's like, I uh, don't really care, sorry. <laughs> um, Here we see the beginning of Gygax's obsession over pole arms. <laughs> um, however, you know, there there were some, some really good stuff that we'll probably be talking about in the the next segment, some of the wandering monsters that you could import in there. And um, because I like Judges Guild stuff a lot, um, I do tend to like a little bit of the unexpected goof popping up in my games. So some of the monsters that you could run into in one of the issues that we haven't talked about yet such as, oh, I don't know, wear gamers, <laughs> things like that. I would, I would import stuff like that into my game as well. I like that kind of thing. Weird stuff. So <laughs> there you go. Your players on your toe, on their toes. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, uh, unless there's some other article we want to discuss, then we'll move into random encounters. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Crystal! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What'll come out no more? Random Encounters. Random Encounters. And there are quite a few, actually, in only seven issues of Strategic Review. They gave us quite a few monsters, many whom you will be recognized from AD&D. Um, I think virtually all of the, almost all of them, ended up showing up in the first edition monster manual. Uh, not the Denebian slime devil. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright CBS Paramount Pictures. <laughs> but if you're a classic gamer that wants more of a classic view of those monsters rather than the sort of half AD and D ishness of them in the monster manual, these are a good place to locate. For instance. The Mind Flayer is introduced here. Mm-hmm. Was it issue one or two? Anyway, it handles the Mind Flayer psionics without, and it's before Eldritch Wizardry, so it was before the actual D&D psionic rules, so it pretty much gives you the, a quick and dirty way of handling it without having to really have psionics in your game. Which is really, I mean... Old school gaming's about rules light, and that's a really good way to handle it, the way it's written for the Mind Flayer. Oh, yeah, I'd much rather do that than, than do the AD&D or even the Sonic system in Eldritch Wizardry. Right. So what's your favorite monster, Jim? I was waiting for this. Oh, I, 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 I'm obsessed and focused with the Denebian Slime Devil just because it doesn't show up in any of the rule sets, <laughs> and it's a Star Trek <laughs> reference. I, I love... 
that that's part of that old school thing where they're just like, okay, I like this. I just saw it on TV. I'm going to drop it in my campaign. <laughs> but I would have I would have also gone with the Mind Flayer, and um, I can't pronounce it correctly or incorrectly because they were still decide. Apparently, in strategic strategic review, they were still trying to decide how to spell Catapleus. And that's the way we used to say it when we were kids. Gotta believe this? Yeah, that. Okay, yeah. Which is a weird monster, but very lethal. I like monsters like that where if, if there's players that are not familiar with the system, you know, they turn the corner in a swamp, see that thing, and go, what the, what? <clears throat> yeah. What? It's got a goofy head. Let's get a closer look. Yeah, do that. <laughs> now you're dead. Like, wait. Okay, Glenn. Jim, you took my monster. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. You can share. I, yeah. Um, my favorite in here is the cat. What you said, cat, Catapleus. The I consider him like the Rodney Dangerfield of D and D because he just okay, fine. He looks. He's like he looks like a herd animal. Could be. But he looks yeah. at you and he turns you, what, to stone or something? Kills you. Kills you. Looks at you, he kills you. That keep me from milking it. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things where you turn around and you see this thing. You think it's a, it could be a cow, could be a boar. It's a boar with a real long head, I think. <laughs> and it's just, he gets no respect. He really does. I mean, you know, the flump has nothing on this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you don't that, see the kind of belief this in many modules. So no, but but boy, do you remember it when you look at the monster, first edition monster manual? <laughs> there, that, this is a theory of mine. There are monsters no one should ever use or play with or like that we all like just because David Trampier did the art. True. True. Yeah, but, yeah I can see that. Liz? Um, I must say... Uh, getting into my love of the goof. My favorite monster out of all of these strategic reviews is the hippie griff. Dude. Yes. <laughs> like far out. It spends most of its waking hours lost in the ozone. But if enticed into repartee, the hippie griff's small but solid vocabulary, consisting of eight words, wow, yeah, like, man, uh, huh, far and out, <laughs> is potent enough to score two dice of boredom. <laughs> oh, the 70s. I miss the 70s. Yeah, there has to be a hippie griff in one of my next games. There's got to. I, like, I like that about the green granules. Yeah. They get into dice bags. Hair, a particular horror for hippie griffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me, I would increase his intelligence a bit in his vocabulary. I would. Yeah, I would gotta, add, gotta add, dude. Gotta have the word dude. Yeah. No, I, he'd he'd be Tommy Chong. <laughs> hey man, dude, hey, what you hip, got there, dude? The hippie griff abides. <laughs> it kind of grabs you by the boo boo, don't it? Yeah. Here, have this. Have some. So, Mike, were you saying the Mind Flayer is your favorite, or did you uh, mention a favorite uh, yet? I got several favorites. If I've got to narrow it down to one, it would have to be the Slithering Tracker. I was hoping somebody would pick that. I mean, it's it's a ninja gelatinous cube. I mean, 
How can you hey, not we'll like get into it? That in. <laughs> how does my question is how did the Slithering Tracker not make the cut and get in the Monster Manual? I don't know. I mean, that's it's such it's like well, let's take a gelatinous cube. Only it's it sneaks up on you. It tracks you by your scent and waits till you to go to sleep. Can ooze through as small as a rat hole or under a door and get you while you're asleep. I mean, this is awesome. Basically, you get the blob. Hey, in front of what we just talked about, Glenn, can you drop in a bumper that says, uh, you know, Shannon Angry Monk, you need to stop listening to the podcast at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, when it comes to this, I let my DMness come through. Wow, this is so cool. It's like, hey, they thought it was cool. I'm going to add this to my next game. What? You said it was cool. (laughs) I like the lurker above and the trapper. So I'm yeah. still not entirely sure why the trapper wasn't called the lurker below, but okay. Oh, and I forgot to tell you earlier. Lurker the, beside. The lurker beside. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the only thing they didn't come up with were stalactites that fired crossways. Yeah. That was, yeah, I mean, I remember when I first read about these monsters, I mean, when I was a teenager, I remember making a, a room that had a lurker above and a trapper in it so that when they went in the middle, it was like a death sandwich, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was great. Oh, that's awesome. I was 13. What do you want? <laughs> By the way, I didn't mention earlier, but in the basic game, I'm not the only one who face planted into a gelatinous cube. We had somebody else do it. <laughs> you turn a corner, I pulled him out. Anyway. <laughs> well, at least he had to turn the corner rather than just walking into it because apparently because it was invisible. Well, well, oh, oh invi- What? Liz and I walked into an invisible gelatinous cube. Oh, that's in, just wrong. In uh, uh, Grow Dogs Castle Greyhawk back a couple. <laughs> what do you mean that's wrong? That's Ex- that's awesome. That's not wrong. <laughs> that's wrong when it's your play, your characters. <laughs> if you're the DM, it's awesome. But, well, you yeah. make a fair point. I like monsters <laughs> to save or die powers, except when my character's dying. Yeah. Well, I play it as regular invisibility, though. You know, you plan into it, and then it becomes visible, and everybody's going, oh. Oh, well, it was, but yeah, nobody, nobody could... knew. I mean, it looked to everybody else like my character had just frozen in place, like I'd been hit with some kind of a, you know, paralysis. spell that, yeah, paralysis. Or, or something. Yeah, yeah, so everyone's trying to figure out, you know, why is she not moving? Well, I'll go forward and check on her. You know, and then her you know, now they're suddenly apparently paralyzed. You know, and nobody is seeing any kind of, you know, acidic eating away at us, which or I would have thought, or, yeah, know, which I would have thought would have been, have been happening. You know, it's like flesh is starting to, you know, eat away from the character. You know, nothing like that was described to the everybody else. That's good DMing. So, you know, we're taking damage, but nobody is aware that we are taking damage. They're all thinking, they've been paralyzed somehow. What do we do? It's like... <laughs> Matt, I'm, you I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to die. <laughs> this is the same party where half of them wandered off and left the other half of the party fighting two rust monsters. Oh. Yeah, it's like, oh, rust monster, Thanks, we're going to go down here. It's like, what? Fighting the rust monsters, we're going to go over here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You're a good DM and you do it just right. You can get the players to line up like lemmings. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes all you have to do is spike a door shut behind them. Or, or my favorite line, 
any DM can kill a character. It takes quality DMing to make the character's life a living hell from which not even death is an escape. That's, That's scary. I like That's my DMing uh, um, adage, really. Matt, Matt, you better be skipping ahead on this. I don't want you. I, I should get it on a T-shirt, probably. Yeah, that'd be nice. But yeah, I think if I had to narrow it down, it would be the Slithering Tracker. Good pick. And so, let's go into Products of Your Imagination. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. Where are the Cheetos? They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. I attack the darkness. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Here we're going to talk about it as a product, both of its time and of use to classic gamers today and how classic gamers today would see it. For one thing, I'm surprised TSR or Wizards or whoever doesn't just do a one-issue reprint of all the strategic reviews, kind of like the Judges Guild did with the Dungeoneer, the first six issues. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if and they could figure out a way to publish it in a leather-bound hardback that cost 50 bucks, they'd do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, probably. 30 on Amazon. <laughs> um but, I mean, yeah, I mean, all told, I think the total of all their – it's less than 100 pages for yeah. every issue. Easily. And that includes covers. I mean, so, you know, you could – it would be cool if they would. Hint, hint. So, as the <laughs> board of directors of Hasbro slash Wizards of the Coast listening to our podcast, as we know they are, mm-hmm. consider doing that. <laughs> Yes, and it is very, 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 very useful for your basic game, which we've already determined, I think. We could figure out if anybody from Hasbro listens to the podcast, because all one of us has to do is post these PDFs up online. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And, and say so on the air. We'll find out quick. Or somebody will just, who listens to us, will tell Hasbro. And then, you know, so even that's. to do it that way. So anyway. I- I have a hard time evaluating stuff like this because I, you know, I got a little bit of the John Peterson disease where it's so much fun to read as a historical document and a, a sort of capture of its, of the state of the game of its time. I would get these just for that. In addition to, you know, actual playable content for a basic D&D campaign. Right. Well, that's why I kind of said both, you know, there, there's that, but there's also, you know, what about the person who, you know, I don't really care about the historical part of the 1970s, I want to pick, you know, pick these up for something tangible and useful in my game, kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're listening and that's your question, hit rewind in iTunes and listen to the last hour of the show again. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jim. Uh, <clears throat> well, how will the, yeah. will the format? Will the layout annoy them? Will you know? Well, are heard- there sufficient illustrations? Come on, guys. You're the artist. Three. Well, I mean, well, it shot my wad on this earlier about – I said about the layout and stuff. No. I mean, for, for a house organ newsletter, it's better typeset than the OD&D rule books. That's true. Okay. Let's I, go with that. I will say 
if for whatever reason, you know, you were brought up on the White Wolf rule books and things of that nature, and you're expecting a lot of slick art and, you know, full-page illustrations, full-color, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you are not going to be satisfied with the appearance of these strategic reviews because, you know, when all is said and done, they are newsletters put together and distributed out to people. Um, This was the precursor to Dragon Magazine. So, you know, it wasn't even really a magazine magazine yet. Well, even though it got it got more like Dragon Magazine the last couple of issues, it's yeah, like, it did. It's, it's like early Dragon Magazine, which wasn't the prettiest thing either by, right. you know, all <clears throat> perfect standards. Mm-hmm. For uh, those of us who started reading Dragon, you know, in the late 30s, early 40 issues, you know, when it had started hitting its stride. Yeah. First, uh, yeah. It's a bit of a jar, but, you know. Now, on the other hand, I picked up and participated in a lot of fanzines in my teenage years. And, you know, this is, this is like a, this is like a fanzine. And. You're right. Yeah. Um, um, you know, they're like fanzines. You've got fan art, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think it's great. It's it brings back a lot of memories to me about the stuff that I participated in in the you know mid to late eighties. I did stuff for Blake Seven fanzines and uh-huh. you know all kinds of stuff like that. So you know I think it's pretty cool myself. You know, and let, uh, it brings uh, back yeah. a lot of memories to me. <laughs> and let me tell you, folks, before the net, before message boards, this was it. <laughs> you know, this was all. Yeah. The Early SCA newsletters had, you know, a lot of stuff like this, especially the, you know, occasional, you know, semi-calligraphy, you know, looking, you know, headers and footers and stuff that would right. appear. You know, I, I get a, I get a lot of old SCA vibes, you know, off of this too, just from appearance and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned about Judges Guild. This is very Judges Guild type vibe, too. With uh, it, it is layout, but, you know, you could have put that ad down here type of <laughs> well, thing. I, yeah. yeah. Solidly pre desktop publishing layout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a solid layout. That's what I'm saying. But today you would do it like you'd tweak it more. That's all. But it's good for what it is. Okay. Then let's talk dragons, Liz. Well, for me, like I said, you know, there are some very war game heavy, crunchy combat articles that I personally would not use. Um, other people will think they're the bee's knees and they'll be all over those articles right. and will probably poo-poo the article that has the hippie griff in it, <laughs> whereas I think that's cool. So for me personally, as far as what I would get out of it to add to my own basic game, I would probably give it four out of five dragons because I would not use everything in every article. But I would use you know, a fair number of stuff. I think, on the whole, you know, the way it reads and the way it presents itself, I think it is very friendly to 
the OD&D rule set and the Holmes rule set, and I would need to do virtually no conversions to make it work for my game system of choice. So okay. I'll give yes. it four, four dragons for me. Yeah, there's a, I, I agree with Liz. There's a lot of chaff in there, but, I mean, if you're going to run a, a basic D&D campaign uh, with a rule set prior to Menser, then there's there's gold in those hills. There's things in there worth having. Um, but I, I'm, st- I'm, I'm not going to go four, though. I'm going to go three and a half. Okay. Glenn? Well, I'm going to give it four for the info alone. I don't care if it's pre-Menser. I do post – I do Menser RC, and I still use this stuff. Just for like illusionist class, ranger class, I'm all over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, there's a couple of monsters that ain't in the monster manual, and and aren't these written up for basic in here? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You're getting some of the basic versions of the AD and D stuff too. Classic, uh, yeah, original, yeah. which is right. basic, which is ri- yeah, <laughs> ri- which is written up for classic, which means you don't have to fool around trying to do it yourself. Um, and just just for that alone, that's four dra- worth four dragons for me. Okay. What's, the def- go- what's our definition of classic exactly? Does it have to be in a box? No. That's how it started out. <laughs> um, basically, it, no pun intended, it's the non-advanced DLD <clears throat> that ran from 1974 to the mid-90s. So yep. all the way up through the RC? Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was first... So I never really understood that <laughs> argument because, you know, people got upset, you know, well, you don't cover RC enough. And it's like, well, but we cover Menser, and Menser is RC, so what's the deal? Yeah. The, only reason I, the only reason I ask or there was any confusion on my part is growing up, we called that basic D&D to, to, because we came out of home, so it was basic or advanced. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just wanted to use classic correctly. Well, originally it was in a box. We talk about it, but I got on the show and nipped that in the bud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> That's our clan, a natural born bud nipper. Yeah, he he nipped it out of the bud after Vince left. Here comes the king. Here comes the king. <laughs> no, I believe I was. It wasn't it. around to police him anymore. So. Yeah, well, I got my shots in. So. Clan mm-hmm. <laughs> unbound. <laughs> That's fine. Well, see. I'm going to uh, go with three. All right, three. Why? I think it is useful. It's got good stuff in here. Is it necessary? No. Um, is there anything in here that you can't come up with on your own? No. But it's got a lot of stuff that you can use, and you can use pretty much out of the box. If you want a ranger, yes, you can take the one yet ranger and retrofit it. But why? When this ranger is already ready to go. Yep. Same with the bard against the 2E bard as a class. I mean, yep. yeah, it's already done here. Right. And I personally think it's more effective than the 2E bard, but, you know, be that as it may. Um, so I'll go with three. I'll go with three and a half just to be consistent here. Okay. Right on. I mean, realistically, anybody would just go get an AD&D book and retrofit. That would be the easiest thing to do to include these classes. But if you wanted, if it was your heart's desire to run something that was error accurate, then this is your ticket. Well, like I, like I said, I, I've been trying to get a gnome class into basic, and I want to make it kind of like the gnome illusionist. And right here, okay, here's a basic illusionist. I got something to work with. So that works out to 3.75. All right. So go get it, find it, use it. Yeah, 
you can find it on the net. Um, you can buy CD-ROM if you want, the Dragon CD-ROM. If you meet me in the back alley, I can also make you a good deal on the Star Wars Christmas special. Because <laughs> Glenn spends a lot of time in the back alley. Okay. <laughs> and on that note... On that tragic, to- awkward note. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of those. Yes, <laughs> we do. That's part of the show. Yeah, part we of the show. Out on the dusty road, into the onto the horizon, looking to hitch a ride. How are we heading down the road, Glenn? Yeehaw! On that cab they top us. Uh, get along, little illusionist. Get along. Cat de Lopus. Catty Lopus, yeah. <laughs> the Catty Wampus. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're thinking about. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be it. Jim? Uh, I got this because in OD&D half-elves can multi-class. My half-elf, Ranger Illusionist Bard, is going down the road to fight Nazis with his Denevian slime devil. A rib? <laughs> a rib? Ranger Illusionist Bard? Oh, right, a rib. Rib. In OD- half elf rib. Half elf rib. Did you say OD and D? Yeah. There's half elves. When? In original, yeah. Oh, okay. You're talking Greyhawk. You're talking brown book. Okay. Yeah, brown book. Okay. Oh, you're talking brown. I think I'm right, but if I'm not, as always, I'm pretty sure it's email. <laughs> it's it's Greyhawk or Eldritch Wizardry. One of those two, I think, has half elves. Okay. But we'll find out because our listeners are good at at pointing out when we screw up. So. I will be riding on the back of a hippie griff. Yeah, man. Dude, far out. Right on. Whereas I will be tired from a long day of hitchhiking and will camp out on the side of the road where I will be ambushed by a slithering tracker. (laughs) (laughs) If Angry Monk has anything to do with it. Oh, especially if Angry Monk has anything to do with it. And I will be unable to set fire to any more doors. Okay, now whenever we camp in the dungeon, we're going to have to plug all the rat holes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. With oil. Oh. So I guess it's time to, to get out of here. Huh? Yep. All right. Another episode. See you guys on the other side. Good night, everybody. See ya. Bye. We are. The Saver Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions of the Saver Die theme. is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.pancamp.com. Briark, copyright Mike Sturt Productions Limited. Any resemblance to persons or game systems, living or dead, is purely intentional and probably grounds for litigation. So sue us. Really, we need the publicity. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. <laughs> <laughs>